I'm Mo. My pronouns are they, them, or it, it's, if you're brave. Um, I'm a Canadian tech person living in Ottawa, and I'm kind of obsessed with decentralized and peer-to-peer -peer tech. Um, that's kind of one of my big interests. I'm really into databases, data formats, how stuff moves around, and also how to make it easy to make stuff. Because one of the big things for me is like, a lot of stuff is like really complicated and requires a lot of money and engineering time to set up. And I'm trying to make it so that we can use this cool tech without having to need like millions of dollars in funding. Mm -hmm. um, oh man. Okay. This is great. Cause I already have a, a great like next question for you, but <laughs> before I even jump into that, something that just came to me that I'm curious about is like, if you weren't working in tech or like doing anything related to like software engineering or computers, what do you think you'd be doing? That's, I think there's kind of like two paths that I kind of wish I could have taken. Mm. One of them would be some sort of like zoology because I really love animals and working with animals. So I think studying animals would have been cool. Yeah. I have like a mini petting zoo with uh, geckos and snakes oh. right now. And <laughs> soon going to have a, a crab added to that and some isopods. So <laughs> just really like creatures yeah. but honestly as a kid I didn't want to do software I wanted to make cyborgs oh, and specifically okay, okay. I wanted to figure out like brain computer interfaces like mm. implants and lately I've actually been thinking of like maybe going to school for some sort of like bioengineering thing yeah but I don't know if now is the best time to career switch <laughs> so <laughs> well, I guess that <laughs> so okay what would you what would you say to someone who's like afraid of that future which some people might say it's an inevitable future but like you know if people are like oh that seems scary to have something like that is like a computer or has some software intelligence like inside of my body like what's what would your response to that be I think it's absolutely scary, especially under capitalism. There's mm. just so many horrible ways it could go wrong. Like I'm not putting the neural link into my brain. <laughs> I might put in like an open source thing eventually mm. and hope it doesn't explode. But personally, I also think that computers and software owned by corporations isn't mm -hmm. like the holy grail. I'm really interested in figuring out if we can work with biology. So like already, I think with like gender affirming care for like cis and trans people, there's stuff being developed there, like um, organ transplants and stuff like that. I'm thinking like, can we like augment that further so we can like mm. um, kind of like work with biology rather than focusing on injecting like these foreign metal things that you need to have like a end user license agreement or whatever. Right. But it's absolutely <laughs> scary. Definitely like kids don't stick neural links in your brains. Um, <laughs> don't trust them. They're out to get you. <laughs> for now. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool answers um, for that. Um, so, okay. The other thing, as you were talking about being like kind of obsessed with D-Web and P2P stuff, um, and you talked about like, like making it easier, right? And like affordable and just like more practical for people to use this tech. Like, do you think there is a case to be made for peer-to-peer -peer technology actually being like uh, a, a cheaper approach, right? To building software than a kind of traditional architecture? Like, is it, do you think it's potentially more cost-effective? 
Yeah, I think it, it's the, the important thing is trade-offs. <laughs> One of the things peer-to-peer -peer is not going to be great for is having a massive database that ha holds huge amounts of everyone's data in one place and processes all of the data at once. So peer-to-peer -peer tech is going to get in your way when you do that. If mm -hmm. you want to just have like a huge cluster in the cloud with like all your storage and all of that, just put it all in one big bucket, um, it's easier to use the cloud. But where peer-to-peer -peer comes in handy is suddenly you can avoid um, like the Amazon cloud tax or mm. the Google cloud tax, where say you're just like some folks that are building for like a smaller scale community, say only have like dozens or hundreds of users, you know, instead of finding money to give Jeff Bezos every month, what if your computers just talk to each other's directly? And it's like, worst case, you have someone's laptop just like on in the corner without any special like firewall cloud stuff right. enabled on it. It's just like you open the app and it's a thing that helps keep your stuff online. So I, I think that the cost saving is where you don't have to have money to make peer-to-peer -peer apps mm -hmm. and to send data to each other. Like obviously monetization of like, if you want to make a commercial product, there's like other things to like think about like, oh, how do we actually sustain programmers and all of that? Yeah. But I think for like average people that just want to kind of like have a computer do a thing for themselves and for their friends, um, I think it's a lot more cost effective. Yeah, totally. Or, totally. That I makes think sense. that's where it's the most cost effective. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that peer to peer often gets tied to like collaborative type uh, applications. So like on, on a, I would say like the networking or infrastructure level, we talk about peer to peer and we're talking about, okay, these different devices sending information between each other. Um, but then on the application level, it could be anything. Right. But I do think that it tends to get coupled with like collaborative type tools, thinking like Google docs or something like that. Um, sometimes social tools, but not as much, I would say as like being able to do this kind of peer-to-peer -peer collaboration. Like, do you think that there are specific application use cases that, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer is kind of best geared for? And if so, like, what would those be? So from like the end user perspective, you know, if I have Google Docs on my phone and I have like Instagram, well, I don't have Instagram, but <laughs> if I did, <laughs> you know, and then I also have like my banking app, like what are the set of things that I, would be able to expect like, oh, this could be a peer-to-peer -peer thing and the set of things that maybe like shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't use that many apps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, first of all, I think a lot of apps could just be offline apps, like a mm -hmm. lot of games and stuff. They don't need to reach out to ad networks just to function. <laughs> <laughs> like banking apps, probably that's one thing it'd probably be better to still have the, like the centralized database and authority mm. for high consistency stuff. But I guess mm -hmm. the um, crypto wallets kind of like muddy the waters there a bit. Yeah. But I think like social media and chats are two places where there's like a lot of potential. Mm. There's been some social media things like secure scuttlebutt and uh Maniverse that have been around for a while and they haven't been super like accessible to newcomers because, yeah. um, I think part of it is just like performance reasons and um, discovery reasons. So it's like finding people and the initial load is a little rough. Mm. 
but um i think there's potential to sidestep that to make like easier onboarding experiences but like one thing is people don't actually care about how their app works at all is one thing i'm realizing <laughs> just like talking to folks that aren't already like tech people they're just like whatever i'm installing the app i'm using the app because of the name <clears throat> and because my friends are using it right and i think that a lot of the apps um right now that aren't peer-to-peer -peer could be um simply just like by changing what you build on top of but yeah social like real-time editing of documents i think that is not even just peer-to-peer -peer, but that's more specifically folks that are into crdts conflict-free mm -hmm. replicated data types they're just a useful thing for collaborative document editing and i think the hello world of crdts is collaborative document editing and so right. we see tons of those and then the hello world of a lot of peer-to-peer -peer stuff is a chat app mm -hmm. so we just see like those being remade over and over again but really um those are like the same kind of like foundational things that any other app is yeah so you could have like a live music editing thing or like an offline music editing thing or a podcast like listening app or a podcast authoring app or like pretty much anything right um, so the sky's the limit really it's just like yeah. yeah a matter of choosing like how you want to build something but like it doesn't i mean trade-offs like you said but like mm -hmm. you could still build it using this underlying technology yeah if i may get on trade-offs again one of the important trade-offs it can be considered either an anti-feature or a feature depending on how um you look at it and so that's the discoverability thing so right now with what people are used to on apps is you install an app it connects to the cloud and you have access to this just global data set mm. and this global data set has access to you so if you join like say a social media thing any random troll can start pestering you right. any random <laughs> like you know person will like see your messages on tiktok and be like wow i'm angry at you and i'm gonna you know, like stalk you and harass you right um whereas in peer-to-peer -peer, as i mentioned before it's hard to have that global database and what that means is that instead you have to focus or you could focus on um social connections so the idea is that you see data that's relevant to you based on like who you know and who you know you know or based on some sort of like smaller um say like hashtag type thing mm -hmm. and so that means that um the difference is even if the app is like the same on the surface level like oh it's a social media app the power dynamics within the app and the social connections and just kind of like the experience is shaped differently by the fact that peer-to-peer -peer forces you to be more local and more um social first rather than global first right yeah 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 so it's like um it seems like what you're saying is there's these different like classes right of different types of applications that we can build but the nature of them and like the the experience of using them is going to be like slightly modified based on what underlying kind of architecture is used to build them yeah exactly yeah. and i think that's really important because like a lot of social structures and things it, it's like i really like this term as above so below mm -hmm. and as below so above mm -hmm. so the idea is that like the larger structure that you inhabit shapes the smaller structure you inhabit so think of like a nuclear family and like a disenfranchised citizenry where it's mm -hmm. like you have this hierarchy 
where people are not equal, where people are being subjugated. And then you exit the family and you get into like, you know, social connections where it's again, like, oh, we have our neighborhood hierarchy. We have our larger whatever hierarchy. And it's all about like top-down subjugation. Yeah, And the cloud is kind of like, that again because it forces this power dynamic of one you have to have one group kind of like paying for everything Mm -hmm. but also one group owning everything and one group having to moderate and it kind of centralizes all of that um stuff whereas with peer-to-peer we now have a more like bottom-up hierarchy forming where at the very least your app will work locally for yourself when you're offline yeah. And then from there, you're interacting with other people based on like who you want to interact with. And then you can form larger and larger aggregations by having people collaborating together kind of like at will. So it's like the different structure, I think, is important for having a different structure of social organizing mm-hmm. and relation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's really cool to hear you articulate it that way because it becomes very apparent how important the social dynamics are um like outside of just like what code someone's writing like the social dynamics kind of come into play very strongly and that brings me to something that's like a little bit more specific but like um when it comes to the quote-unquote governance right um or like the ways in which we do collaborate when when we're considering like how should the software work or like how should it be built or you know all those kind of decisions that have to be made um if you move away from this kind of top-down approach like what does that feasibly look like or maybe like in the ideal case what do you think that should look like i'll be honest i don't have enough experience actually doing that because I've mostly come from open source projects where folks are working in their spare time. And I think the reality is that only so many people can afford to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a shame because like a lot of tech ends up being made by people that, you know, have some level of privilege, have some level of like spare income access to like, you know, like I can run servers for a community because of my tech job. Right. And say some folks in like more developing countries don't have that luxury or say even like folks that have like, a, you know, like a minimum wage job. So sadly, I don't I don't know. And I'm but I'm really happy to see that there are folks like talking about this, like uh, the disco project, mm-hmm. uh, the distributed cooperative i think they're called okay yeah yeah (laughs) disco i think it's with two o's is that right i have i don't remember but they're like a DAO, (laughs) but more anarchist yeah yeah (laughs) and i i think it's cool that there are more folks kind of like thinking about like community um collaboration and so partially one of the big changes in the past year for me is i started working with the haifa worker co-op um out of Toronto. So I'm not a full co-op member yet, but I am kind of like making my way way there. And Mm -hmm. part of the appeal to me there is to be part of cooperative governance and like having, you know, a workplace where it's owned by the workers. And so far, one thing that means is that the average worker has to do a lot more work with Mm -hmm. governance, which I think is like one of those trade-offs especially when it comes to software. I think like having a consumer co-op for software is probably hard 
because a lot of consumers don't want to have to think about the stuff they're consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like participating in governance as just like a non-tech person for a tech project sounds hard. And then, but then at the same time, are tech people that are doing the tech project, are they like the best people to like morally? I don't know. I I feel like just listening to people and like trying to work with users um, might be a good middle ground of like, Mm. not everyone actively engaging, but then like people's voices still being heard. I don't know. As I mentioned, this sadly, this is like new to me and I'm still exploring it, but it's it's definitely not a solved problem from what I understand. And there's a lot of folks taking a lot of different approaches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, it reminds me of like the fact that we have all of this policy, right? And like laws being passed um, related to technology by people who really <laughs> sometimes are very, very far away from how that technology works or is being built. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like an example of you have people who like maybe, and maybe to some degree don't really care, but they know they need to do something. <laughs> and so they're put in this position where they have to like make decisions around something that's like very far removed from um, their interests or knowledge, um, et cetera. And yeah, I can imagine that's like extremely difficult. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I actually have an anecdote there. So one of my pals works in politics. They're like an aide to some sort of politician. Mm. And they gave me a cool insight of like politicians on average, they are trying their best. It's just like they don't know a lot of stuff outside of being politicians. Right. And so what ends up happening is their opinion on stuff is just whatever the last convincing like information they had was Mm. and kind of like one of the big failure modes of that is that it's mostly people with money with agendas for influencing politicians that have the luxury of actually spending time with them and talking to them yeah and so even if the politicians want to do their best if the only people approaching them are say like oil company executives you know they're not going to get that much insight however um you can literally just like mail stuff to your politicians and like Mm. email them and try to talk to them and there's like committees and stuff Mm -hmm. and committees apparently you can't just like message them and be like hey here's my opinion and then they I think sometimes are obligated to read it or at least their aides are so potentially um it's not all hopeless and like reaching out to your local politics might actually make a difference especially I think there's like more youths these days that are like actively making a fuss about mm-hmm. local politics and like going to these hearings and committees and stuff. So like, even if politicians are dumb, um, <laughs> it's not just the like quote unquote bad people that can influence them. Like, right. um, and like organizing locally and participating locally um can make some difference hopefully maybe (laughs) yeah 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 totally it's that's super interesting because like it just brings to mind for me that like being um uh I guess the the idea of like citizenship right Mm -hmm. which like so I'm in the U.S. you're in Canada but I'm guessing it's similar that we're just like born into this you know, country (laughs) that um, kind of has this underlying expectation that you are a citizen and there's like things that assumptions, right, um, or or things that we associate to what it means to be a citizen. 
but it's very easy to like ignore that right like to like not participate at all like no one's requiring you to um and I think for me what's really interesting is this like kind of shift I would call it a shift I guess or like movement towards thinking about building software in a different way like it brings about this concept of like you know you're not just a user <laughs> like what you the the products that you're using the applications that you're using you can influence them in many different ways whether that's from this like you know governance type perspective um or from a, the tech side of like the actual coding that you're doing but also it it does have that underlying kind of impact of like when you use an app you're not just a user of an app you actually are I don't even know what to call it, but this this kind of sense of citizenship kind of comes into play with that as well. Yeah, I think that's a really big thing. And I think one of the things that leads into is just like the concept of agency. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of folks don't engage in politics because they don't feel like they actually have agency over the outcomes. Right. They feel disenfranchised of like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, I know a lot of folks that don't vote because they're like, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um nothing's gonna happen and they don't know about all of these other things other than voting that they could do which right. individually might not matter but on aggregate if like lots of them do things they can make a difference but also like how that relates to tech is i feel lately people have been disenfranchised from their software as well yeah. where they're getting less and less control the software is being more and more locked down and i think that's where the concept of a user agent is mm. super interesting. Like web browsers, you know, they were called mm -hmm. like user agents <laughs> where <laughs> they do stuff on behalf of the user and the user has control of somewhat over what they do. And so like browsers, I think are like some of the only software that gives us any user agency. Yeah. And I think it's getting less agency with like Chrome um, trying to like lock things down and give people even less power. Hmm. But that's also where I'm interested in exploring with Agrigor, my yeah. web browser, oh, name dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it was just a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, it'd be nice if, you know, it was easier to tinker with the data your browser is using, mm. or like if it was easier to kind of like move stuff around. Like even if you're not a coder per se, having the option to say use different apps to access the same data might be nice. Yeah. Like, um, and we kind of have that with um, mobile apps mm -hmm. to an extent, but even that's being locked down. Like for instance, there's, um, if you don't like the YouTube app, say it's too big or it does too many sketchy things with like advertising, um, you know, you can install NewPipe on Android. Mm. And suddenly you have like a more lightweight experience or you have more agency over what the app is doing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, apps like that are being blocked more and more in app stores. Right. And like Apple especially is like really um, strict mm -hmm. <laughs> about stuff like alternative front ends. So it's getting kind of rough. Um, and that's also why I'm interested in the web again, but from yeah. this peer-to-peer -peer point of view. Um, okay, so we've hit half an hour and we talked a lot about <laughs> politics, which is like not what I expected. Kind of, not exactly about politics, but politics adjacent. Um, but I guess just like in the last like five or so minutes, um, what's something right now that you're really excited about? 
I, I'm guessing it's Agrigor, but maybe it's something else. Yeah. I mean, if I can plug more things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this thing we're doing at Haifa called the Distributed Press Social Inbox. So Distributed Press is a project we have that makes it easier to publish static sites to the D-Web. So you kind of like send your site files and then we publish it on IPFS, Hypercore Protocol. And then we're working on BitTorrents. There's some mm. performance things there. And it's all great. Like, wow, we can load a website. You can do that anywhere. But the new thing we're doing is integrating um, a super lightweight server we're calling the Social Inbox. And this lets you talk to apps like Mastodon or PixelFed or Lemmy or any of those federated softwares. So mm -hmm. the idea is you can publish a blog and instead of it just being an HTML file that's only really accessible via like Google search, um, it's now on the Fediverse and people can follow you and do replies and like subscribe to your posts. And so the idea is right now we're integrating with the HTTP version of the Fediverse, but in the coming year, we're going to be looking at how to make clients that are fully peer-to-peer. -peer. Mm -hmm. So then you don't even need an internet connection to engage with uh, Fediverse content. Right. And so I'm super excited because I really love the Fediverse. I really like um, how it's very like community driven and very like bottom up again, where it's just like some communities which can exist on their own that collaborate with each other. And we're introducing a new way to now as an individual or as a small publication exist in this ecosystem and hopefully eventually not even need servers to participate. But that's like maybe years down the line. Yeah. So that's what I'm super excited about. Um, Distributed.press and then um, Compost Magazine cool. is one of our things we're publishing on it. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I obviously there's not enough time because I <laughs> have a lot more questions um, that we won't be able to get to today, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, I've heard good things about uh, the work that Hypa is doing and um, the idea of like being able to one, publish your website to these different kind of federated or peer to peer networks. Um, in a very easy way is awesome because <laughs> my during my time working with IPFS, like it's not easy. <laughs> um, so I love that. And then connecting that to the metaverse so that it's not just like your post, like kind of your social posts, like a Twitter type thing, but also like incorporating other formats of data. So does that mean basically the blog like appears in my kind of like Mastodon feed or like how does it get integrated? Yeah, exactly. So exactly the like idea okay. is alongside the html version of your blog posts we also post um there's this format called json ld json linked mm. data and so that's the format that activity pub the protocol underlying the fediverse uses to talk between instances and so we have the html page link to the json ld page and then all the fediverse clients know how to resolve from the html to the json and then from there that's how they load like your profile information and your posts and stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, that sounds great. 